Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams starts a new series entitled Identity. Throughout this series, we will look at who we are in Christ and what it means to be chosen. The Bible says that we were created in God's image. So if we ever want to understand who we are, we must begin with who God is. All right. We're starting a new series today called Identity. And today we're going to be asking the question or looking at the thought of what does it mean to be chosen? What does it mean in our lives to be chosen? If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10. I'm excited about this series. I think it can have a huge impact on, on people who are one in the church and people who are not yet a part of the family of God, but, but who need Jesus. And so I'm excited about where we're going to go with this today. As I said, we're going to be looking at what it means that God has chosen us. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. It's one of my favorite verses of Scripture. It says... But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that that you have chosen us to be your people. God, that there was such a chasm between us, uh, just so wide, God, that we could not have possibly made our way to you, but you came all the way to us with Jesus Christ, and you bridged that gap with your love and the blood of Jesus so that we might be able to know you, God. Thank you. God, I pray that your word would sink deep into our hearts today, that we begin to see ourselves the way you see us, God. And, Father, that we would fulfill everything you've created us to do every purpose you have in our life, and that we would truly know what it means to walk in the abundant life given by Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. It's in his awesome, mighty, and loving name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. One of my faults as a preacher may be that sometimes I'm a little too open, a little too vulnerable, a little share some things I might not, but because I love you, and because I want you to get the point of this today, I'm going to share some things that otherwise would be, uh, they're going to be embarrassing anyway, but they could be very, very embarrassing to me um, because it's a time that I, well, let me tell you the story. When I was in high school, I, was, uh, I played football, and it was not very big, but, but I played football, loved football, but I would play, but there was one problem. For some reason, I kept getting concussions in high school, and some of you go, now we understand what's wrong with him. You, you, you figured it out now. There's something wrong. He had his head hit too many times. But, but it was. I had two that were partic- particularly bad. And, and the first one was, um, I was a sophomore in high school. It was during the fall. We were playing a team from Savannah. And I was on the kickoff team. And I remember running down the kickoff team. And so you've got to be kind of crazy anyway to do the kickoff team because you're running full speed. The kickoff return team's running full speed. And then it's just like, wham! A huge hit, right? And so the last thing I fully remember is I see a guy who was about a foot taller than me, and he was wearing number 55, and I remember I lowered my head, he lowered his head, bam, and we hit. And truthfully, the next thing I remember, the only thing I remember a lot from the rest of that night was looking at the lights and just thinking, something is weird. It was just weird. I couldn't put my finger on it. I was just weird. But what the worst thing was, the stuff I started doing after I had the concussion, because it, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know who I was. I, it was all kind of stuff going on. And, and I, one of the things that happened was 
that they set me on the bench and they took my shoulder pads off. Well, the cheerleaders were right over to the side over here and they were doing their cheerleading thing, right? And so I decided it would be a good idea to go and try to cheer with the cheerleaders. (laughs) And so I thought this is a great opportunity for me. I've never been a cheerleader. And so I'm kind of on the bench. I'm hooping and hollering. I'm I'm, I'm right there with them. I'm like, this is awesome. And so then I'm on the bench and they call for the, uh, we scored a touchdown. They call for the PAT team, the, the point after touchdown. And so I didn't have shoulder pads on, but I'm like, I'm going out there. And so I jump up and I run out onto the field and they, they just grab me, pull me back. But I was going no helmet, no shoulder pads, nothing. I was just ready to get into the game. And so I go out there, I do that. Then, then um, before they actually figured out what was going on, I, I had lined up um, on the field. I played tight end and I lined up on the other side of the ball. I was wearing a blue jersey, but I lined up on the green side. I mean, I was, I was facing the right direction, but I was, I was on the other side of the ball and two times in a row. And so the coach comes out on the field and gets me off the field. Evidently, I did not like that because I told him things that, man, I, you really do not need to say and cannot be repeated in church. I had no idea what I was doing. That spring, um, I, I, I had another concussion. We were playing... Um, uh, spring practice, hit another guy head on head, Nami Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I mean, I was out. And so then they take me in. They're trying to get me cooled off. They're trying to get me cooled down so that I can kind of try to see if is it a concussion, is it just overheated, what is it? And, and this is, you know, all what I was told. But the, the trainer says, Brandon, you, you go get in the shower. All right, good. I can do that. So, so I go and I go and I get in the shower and he decides I better go check on him because he is kind of loony right now. And so he comes in there and I was in the shower with my socks on. And so I'm standing there with my socks on and, and in the shower. And uh, so they knew at that point that something was bad, bad, wrong. Didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know anything that was going on. I, I go home and, and um, my mother takes me home and she gets me in bed and says, just, just relax, just chill out. Um, and, and she said she was in the bedroom talking on the telephone and, uh, she heard the vacuum cleaner come on <laughs> and she says she walks into the, 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 living room and I'm in there vacuuming the living room. Now, I mean, that was a strange thing because I, I never would have voluntarily <laughs> vacuumed the living room. The crazier thing was that, you know, I had the socks on in the shower while I was in there and, and, and shouldn't have been doing that, right? Well, the socks were gone, as was everything else. <laughs> and so it was not a pretty sight. But, but the point of it is, I had no clue who I was. I mean, I didn't know what was going on. Certainly, I would not have been doing those things if I had been in my right mind. But here's the point of that. I believe that the church, I believe that people in the world today are in the same position. I believe that what has happened is we don't know who we are anymore. People in the world certainly don't. They don't know who they are. They're trying to find everything else to try to fill a void in their heart that's never going to be filled. But what I see so commonly is is that people in the church do the same thing. We search and search and search for something to fill a void in our heart that can never be filled. And we've all, if you've been in church, you've heard people say, you've got a God-shaped heart and that's the only thing. And it it is cliche, but it became cliche because it's true. Because it makes sense that we can search and search and search, but we'll never find who we are apart from God. But that's where the church is today. I'll tell you this. Most of the problems I see in church, most of the problems that come into my office during the week are, are not the result of anything other than an identity crisis. 
And that's where people are today in the church and in the world, unsaved and saved. People are having an identity crisis. People don't know who they are. And what it's causing is a feeling of inadequacy and insecurity in our lives that that makes us see it and, and experience life through a filter. So that we don't know who we are in Christ. We, can't, we feel we can't do the things that God's called us to do. And so we miss out on so much. We miss out on the purposes of God in our life so many times. Not because um, they're not there, but because we don't believe we can accomplish them. And so we're going to begin to look at this over the next few weeks and begin to try to discover our identity. Who, who are we as Christians? Who are the people of God? What are we supposed to do about this now that God uh, has, has called us his own? So we're going to look at this today. If you look at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says this. It says, but you are a chosen people. See, Peter is contrasting the sinners, the people who don't know God, the people who are far away from God. He's contrasting them with the, with the children of God. He's saying, but, anytime you see but, it means there's a, there's a shift coming. He told, he told, he's telling them, listen, these people, Jesus was a stumbling block to them. To, he was a cornerstone that was rejected. He became a stumbling block. But to you, you're chosen. You are chosen by God. And so we need to begin to realize this, people, that we have been chosen by God. Is that not something to be a little bit excited about? That a God that is holy, a God that is perfect, has chosen you and me. Thank you. One person is like, yeah. (laughs) Amazing. But see, that's the problem, is that we don't realize the, 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 the power of that. We don't realize what it is to be chosen by God. Because, and here's the deal. Here's the point of this. You'll never complete the task that God has given you. We'll never complete the task that God has given us until we know who we are in Christ. You might want to write that down. I will never do what it is I have been created and called to do until I know who I am in Jesus Christ. See, the problem is right now, we like to look at at teenagers, we like to look at college students, and like, man, they're going crazy. They're doing all these wild things. You know what, though? Adults are doing the same thing. Adults are trying to find that that thing that will fit in their heart just as much as anybody else. Certainly teenagers and college students, they do that. But but, but adults do it, too. There's something in us that we just try to find something that will fit, but nothing else is going to fit. And until we begin to realize until we begin to understand that God has chosen us and that when we'll own that, when we'll allow that to begin to sink in, we can begin to do all that he has called us to do. One of the problems is this, you may want to write this down too, that there is, or one of the things is that great secu- there is great security in knowing God. Listen to this, I want to read one other scripture to you. We're going to talk about these scriptures for the rest of our time here. 19, 5 and 6 says this in Exodus. Exodus chapter 19, 5 and 6. I'm going to read the last part of this in five and the first part of six. It says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There is great security in knowing that the God who created everything and that it all belongs to has chosen you. He's picked you. But we kind of gloss over that. Do you see how huge that is that God has picked us? I want to tell you, for me, one of my greatest insecurities, and Susan can testify to this, and she's like called me mean things before because this is just a problem I have. She's like, grow up, you big baby. Um, No, she didn't say that. That would be wrong of me to tell you that. But one of my greatest insecurities is something I do every week is preaching. It's one of the things I struggle with the most. 
And I want to tell you, I struggled with it and I struggled with it and I struggled with it because there was always this feeling of, I can't do it well enough. I don't do it good enough. You know, why, why me? Why would God want me to do this? But I never could get away from it. I always felt like this is what God wanted me to do. And here's the awesome thing that happened to my life. And I'm not going to go into the whole story. Some of you heard it. Some of you haven't. But when I was 33 years old, now I'm about to turn 35 in a couple of months, so this was not that long ago, okay? This is like current news, right? When I was 33 years old, I went through some stuff, not blaming anybody else. I had my part in this thing too, but I went through some stuff that got me to a point of being as low as I've ever been. And on my 30, this is on my 33rd birthday, I was three miles from nobody because I had to get away and figure out what's God doing in my life. And I had to get away, and I had to be by myself. And I'm sitting in a cabin about three miles from nowhere and, and, and just sitting there, 33 years old, a wife, two kids, unemployed, not knowing what in the world I'm supposed to be doing. I was as low as I've ever been. For the first time in my life, I heard a voice in my head say, every dream you've ever had will never happen. Anybody ever been in that place? Every dream you've ever had will never happen. And I, and, and I really began to realize I am in desperate need. But you know, the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life came out of that moment. Because in that moment, I looked deep inside myself and I said, God, who am I? And God said, Brandon, I have called you to pastor. I've called you to preach. I have chosen you and this is what you have been called to do. Now, you know, when you hear that in, in a moment when you're in front of people and everybody's thinking this is the greatest thing, wow, woo, 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 it, it means one thing. But when you're in a moment of despair, when you think that everything's come to an end and you see, hear God say, I have chosen you and I have picked you and this is what you're supposed to do, there is something that happens on the inside of you that, that it doesn't matter anymore. Listen, my emotions and everything about me used to rise and fall based on how the message went on Sunday. It could affect me for two days. And see, there are people in here who have other issues that are the same way. There's that almost Achilles heel in your life that if the devil can get a hold of it, he can control your entire emotions, your entire life by this one thing. It may just be what other people think of you, whatever it is. But I guarantee it boils back down to an insecurity. And so I was sitting there and, and I began to realize, listen, if God has chosen me, then who cares? I don't mean this lately, but who cares what anybody else thinks? If God's for me, who can be against me? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if, if, if I'm approved in the eyes of man. If God says, I have stamped your life and I've created you the way I've created you, now just be who I made you to be. There's awesome freedom in that. There's awesome freedom in the fact that we have been chosen by God. God has picked us. Listen, Jesus came to us in our poverty. He came and he chose us. And when we begin to realize that we have been chosen, then it begins to change everything. We begin to realize that Jesus doesn't show, show favoritism to anybody. Favoritism to anybody. In fact, he hates favoritism so much that in James, in the book of James in chapter 2, he says, listen, this is a sin if you begin to look at people different because of what they have. And we need to begin to realize that too. I was blown away a few weeks ago because we had some folks come to the church and they were like, man, we love it. It's great. It's, it's wonderful. We love the church. There's only one problem. One problem. We can usually work with one problem. It's the ones that come in with a list, you know, that, that, I, have, that I worry about. And they're like, well, there's, there's just too many college students and, and we just, we can't connect. There's too many college students. And, and um, you know, it's one of those times where we're like, well, we'll miss you. And... <laughs> 
So, but it was, it was like, well, there's just too many college students. And here's the thing that, that, that just blows my mind with that. What person that's seeking the kingdom of God, that's seeking heaven, that's seeking what God wants to do in a community with 19,000 college students and, and, and probably a thousand of them go to church on Sunday, can walk in, see a room full of college students, there's about 50% college students and go, I don't want to do this. God can't be in this place. I mean, college students coming to church, God can't be here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how crazy is that, that, that we live in a time when church is so about us, so about, so about um, you know, well, I like this type of people, I don't like this type of people. I'm like, I'm amazed by that because God didn't choose us based on what we have. He didn't choose us based on how much money we got. He didn't choose us based on how good looking we are. He didn't choose us based on what color we are. He didn't choose us based on how old we are. He chose us. He chose us. That's some great grammar, isn't it? (laughs) He chose us because we are his. He poured his grace out upon us because we are his, because he loves us. And one of the biggest problems, and some of you uh, need to hear this, and, and some of you are sleeping, wake up. And so, but, but you need to hear this. One of the biggest problems, and I say, I've said this before, if you've heard this, it, the only reason I'm saying it again is because I talked to about 10 people this week, and they're like, we don't remember you saying that. And so I'm saying it again because this is huge. One of the biggest problems we have as Christians is we compare ourselves to other people. Do we not? I guarantee you, when girls walk in here, the other girls are going, I don't believe she wore that. I would not have worn that thing. Or, my goodness, if I, if I had, you know, if I was that skinny, if I could only be that skinny, I would be happy. You know, guys, we don't think that deep, but, but girls are, are just, but guys, we compare ourselves in other ways. We compare our jobs. We compare other things. We compare ourselves to see how we, how we measure up, right? We're always measuring ourselves against other people. Let me tell you the only problem with that. The problem with that is number one, that, that, that you become prideful. There's only two options. You become prideful. You look at the person sitting next to you and you go, thank God I'm not like that. We were sitting eating lunch with a, a couple. Um, we were actually interviewing for the children's position here at the church. We were sitting eating lunch with, with she and her husband. And Susan and the, the lady we were talking to um, were talking about how they don't cook much. You know, and we, we're fine with that because we, we've got Snookies. So we're good. <laughs> and so they were talking about how they don't, uh, they don't cook very much. And so it's kind of funny. We're laughing back and forth. And, and Tim, the guy that was sitting across the table from us, we're like, we're not touching this with a 10 foot pole. I don't care. My lips are sealed. And they're looking at us. And I'm like, mm-hmm, that's good. Mm-hmm. I'm just eating as fast as I can eat. And so then finally Susan looks up and she goes, well, at least I cook more than my sister does. And see, she knows, she knows she can't deny it. And it was so funny. It was so funny because I was like, and then I was eating faster. I was like, oh my gosh. And because I wanted to look up and go, no, you didn't. And, and so I just started eating faster and faster. But we do that all the time, don't we? We look at other people and we compare ourselves. We judge ourselves against other people. And you know the one we need to be judging ourselves against is Jesus. It's not other people. It's Jesus. Because when you see that you don't measure up to Jesus and you see that the gap is huge, but yet he reached out his hand of grace and pulled you to where he is, it begins to make you live out of an attitude of gratitude. I didn't mean for that to rhyme. I promise I didn't mean for that to rhyme. But it does. You begin to live out of this attitude of gratitude. You begin to live a life that you go, wow, I come so short to Jesus, and yet he lifts me up, and it doesn't matter so much about what other people are thinking and saying about you and around you. So we've got to get to where we see ourselves comparatively 
with Christ and what he's done in our lives and who we are in him. If you're doubting yourself and you're a Christian, then you're not doubting yourself. You are doubting Christ and his capability to work in and through you in your life. This next thing is this. You need to write this down too. Being chosen by God shows his love. Listen to this. We've all sacrificed something before, right? Everybody in here, you sacrificed something in your life before, whether it was big or small. I thought in my life I had sacrificed, like through sports and through things like that, going through just gutting it out, playing at sports and sacrificing, man, all the time and the energy and the sweating and all this stuff that went on. And I thought I had sacrificed until I had kids. And parents in here, you, you understand exactly what I mean by that. I thought that I had sacrificed. But when we had children, my life went bloop. It's like it got turned upside down. And every ounce of selfishness that was in my body began to come out. I don't know who cried more, the baby or me. Because I was like, I want to take a nap. You know, and, and it was so bad. But I began to realize what a, what a selfish thing. And you know what was funny is I remember growing up, I took so much for granted from my parents. I had no idea. My gosh, if I had written teenagers, you realize, if I had realized this, and when I was growing up, it would have changed my life. I would have been so much more thankful. When they asked to take out the trash, it wouldn't have been like, oh, take out the trash. It would not have been. I would have been like, man, I'll do whatever. Because when I began to realize what my parents had to do to get me to the point of me being able to live on my own, and they didn't kill me before I got there, I was like, wow, that's a total different love. And you know what's funny is now I love my children so much, I'd go back and I'd do every bit of it again. But the truth of this is you don't sacrifice for something you don't love. You won't do it. You won't sacrifice for something you don't love. And yet God has consistently throughout creation, since the beginning of time, God has always sacrificed everything else in creation so that he wouldn't have to kill us. So he wouldn't have to sacrifice us so that we wouldn't have to bear his wrath and his judgment. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, mankind screws up the creation. Think about it. They're there. The Bible says that they're ashamed. They're naked. They're, 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 every time they look at the one next to them, they realize we have screwed up because before that they didn't know they were naked. And so they look over and, and they, they see each other. And every time it had to be a reminder of, wow, we really messed this up. And yet God comes along and what does he do? He kills both of them, right? No. Y'all are like, I don't know. I ain't read that before. <laughs> no, he didn't kill them. What happens is he kills an animal. It says that he clothed them with animal skin. How do you get animal skin? You kill an animal. It was the first blood sacrifice. God could have, maybe should have killed Adam and Eve, but because he made them and chose them to be like him, he spared them and covered their shame and their nakedness with animal skin. The first sacrifice. You can trace that blood all the way from Genesis to the cross. Read your Bible, you'll see it. You can trace it all the way through to the cross. You go to Genesis, uh, when, in, in Genesis, when Abraham's about to sacrifice Isaac, he's got him on the altar. I mean, he's about to do it. He's got the knife. He's ready to kill his own son, foreshadowing the death of Jesus for us. He's about to kill his own son and God spares him and gives him an animal to sacrifice instead. It goes all the way through the, the, the testimony, the history of the temple worship was that when the Jews would carry their lambs to sacrifice them in the temple, that there'd be so much blood that it would literally be running out of the temple because God has always chosen to sacrifice other things rather than us when it's our sin. I mean, think about the poor animal back there in Genesis. 
He's walking around munching on some leaves, and all of a sudden, it's like, he never even knew what hit him. The next thing he knows, he's, he's a fur coat, you know? And so God has always chosen to sacrifice other aspects of creation rather than sacrificing us, rather than killing us for what we deserve. Here's the awesome thing about God. He even chose to sacrifice the very best, his one and only son, so that you and I could understand his love. See, I believe the the Bible says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Listen, I believe that God had given his written word. He had given it to the prophets. He had given it to the, the, the people. He had given them his written word. But I believe this is what happened. I believe that over all these years, they were looking at the written word and they were screwing it up so bad. They thought it was about rituals and religion and let's do this and let's do that. And they were neglecting the relationship with God. So Jesus had to come. God says, these, these knuckleheads, I mean, I think we fit that description, knuckleheads. These knuckleheads don't get it. So I'm going to become the word. I'm going to become the, I'm going to embody everything I've tried, been trying to tell them. And so Jesus came and he died on a cross for you and me. And he sacrificed his life for you and me so that we could know him that shows God's love for us, that he died for us, even in the midst of our sin, that he died for us. The last thing is this. It shows God's grace. Being chosen shows God's grace. See, there's this thing that happens around our house. Um, our kids, um, they, they, we're working on how you ask for things. Anybody that has had small children, you ever had to just deal with how you ask? Because nothing makes my head spin around 10 times more than when my kids are like, I want juice. <laughs> or juice. I'm like, uh-uh. I will smack you. I will slap the taste out your mouth. You better phrase that another way. And so we've been working on this. But they, they, they do. They're like, and especially Jackson, he's had this little thing. He's like, I want juice. I'm like, well, you better get up and get you some. <laughs> and he's four. He's like, I can't get it, Daddy. It's, but but he, he, it's this thing that I recognize in him, but I recognize it also in, in us. I recognize this, this entitlement thing, especially in America, man. We think that everything's owed to us, don't we? It's amazing to me that people who do things in the church that are just downright wrong, I'll call them in and I'll say, hey, guys, we can't be doing this. You, you don't understand, you're a Christian. But you know, it, it seems like every time they become the victim. Is that not amazing? I'm blown away by how we can be dead in the wrong, and yet because of this mentality of what we're entitled to, we, we just we blow it off. And then all of a sudden, it's somebody else's fault. And I believe that what we need to do is man up and own our part of the responsibility in this thing. I think what we need to do is get over our, our feeling of entitlement to everything and begin to be a little bit more appreciative of what God's done in our life already. You know, it makes me feel so good when my kids come up to me and they're like, Daddy, thank you. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm about to pass out. I'm like, but like Joey, when he was having his heart attack a few weeks ago, I'm like, oh, I'm about to die. He really didn't have a heart attack. Don't, don't freak out. But, but seriously, it's like, I, I, it blows me away. And I wonder why as Christians we can't be a little more appreciative, why we have this sense of entitlement. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she said, you know, I think one problem that we have in the United States is we've never had a king. 
And when she said that, man, it just went off in my spirit. And I started thinking about the democratic nation we live in. But here's the thing that we've got to realize as Christians. God doesn't care about our vote. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords, and we're not. His deal is, I'm going to tell you what to do, and I expect you to do it. See, I do that at home. It just don't work. (laughs) But God, he's the king of kings. He's not interested in our vote. He wants us to do what he's told us to do. And one of the things that we've got to begin to realize is that we, apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ, have no way to get to God the Father. We've got to begin to realize that, that we are sinful. Because this entitlement thing we've got, we take God and his sacrifice for granted. We're all guilty, okay? We take it for granted. I don't care how pious you think you are. I believe everybody in this room in some way takes God's sacrifice for granted. We see it as somehow, somehow we make Jesus and our relationship with God so common, such a common thing that we overlook the importance and the amazing, amazingness? Is that a word? I don't know. But we overlook how awesome it is that we can have a relationship with God. And we take it for granted. See, this is what we don't understand. We don't understand the fact that when Jesus died on a cross, and maybe we mentally understand it, but maybe we need to get it in our heart. Maybe it needs to sink a little deeper. Because when Jesus died on the cross... He bore your wrath. He bore the wrath of God that was deserved for you. Now, see, here's the cool thing about this. He didn't just bear your wrath. It was mine too. And everybody that's sitting in this room and everybody in the world today, he took that upon himself, but we overlooked that. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Because just a thimble full of God's wrath would be enough to leave me or you in a pile of ashes, I guarantee you. Just a little bit. And on that day when he hung on the cross and he gave up his life for us, the wrath of God was poured out upon him so that now the Bible says you and I are no longer appointed to wrath. Is that not awesome? I can tell you're excited about it. Is that not awesome? It is awesome that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God because Jesus loves us so much. We need to let that sink in because I guarantee you, when you realize that Jesus chose to extend the hand of grace to you when you had no other way to God, it will change your life. It will change the way that you think about life. Do you really think Jesus died for you, extended the hand of grace to you so that you could walk through life a failure? No. He's called you out of the the mire and the clay, and he's picked you up, and he wants to use you in an awesome and amazing and mighty way. I want to ask you two questions this morning. We're about to wrap this up real quick. Are you aware of your need for Jesus? Are you aware of your need for Jesus? I was um, was around a bunch of people this week that I've never met before. Some of them I met a few years ago, but, but it was cool. I got to meet a lot of new people. Most of them were cool. Um, I'm just kidding. But once, once I, I, Joey called me, and, and he's, he's the executive director of Kingdom Builders. He calls me, and he's like, hey, can you meet this crew? Um, they're on the way out Highway 80. Can you meet them and take them to a job? on? It was on Moach Road, way out in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, can you take them? And I was like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll take them. And so I'm just listening to some Christian music, some worship music. And I don't know what happened. I don't know. Maybe this has happened to you before. But it was like the presence of God invaded my truck, right? 
And I'm about to meet these people that, that I really had been around them a little bit, but I really didn't know them. It was, it was Brandon uh, Strozier, he, who's here today. He's a youth pastor. He was driving the van. And I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden I became so aware of my inadequacy as in, in compared to, to Jesus, compared to God. I began to realize all the junk in my life. It was just like God came into the truck and I began to be so thankful for what Jesus did on the cross for me. I began to be so thankful for the forgiveness that he gave me. I just started crying, man. I'm just crying big crocodile tears running down my face. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't deserve you, Jesus. You know, I mean, I was freaking out because I realized I don't deserve to be called a child of God. This is not something that that I could do on my own. And then they're coming out there and I'm like, what am I going to do? So I've got my sunglasses. I don't even know if they recognize it. I don't know if my nose was all red and swollen because I was blowing my nose. And I mean, just squalling like a little, little baby, man. But I began to realize, man, I, I don't deserve this. I began to realize again, my need for Jesus in my life, the forgiveness that he offers me. And so I don't know if they knew it or not, but man, I was having an awesome God time. And I just began to be so much more appreciative of what Jesus has done in my life. And the second question is similar, but there's a little bit of a difference. Have you forgotten where you came from? Because it's easy for us who have been Christians for a long time to forget what Jesus did for you. You can do that in two weeks. You can be the most raunchy person in Bullock County, get saved, clean up a little bit, and in two weeks you're looking down your nose at everybody else. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And we go from raunchy center, worst person in Bullock County, to judge in two weeks. But I'll tell you this, too many times we forget what God has brought us from. We forget what Jesus has done in our life. And I tell you, if you want to live a life that's full of gratitude for what Christ has done, you don't need to live in the past, but you can't forget what Jesus did for you. You need to constantly be reminded of God's grace in your life. You need to constantly be reminded of who you are apart from God. I don't know if you know who you are apart from God. I know who I am apart from God. I found that out this week too. We were doing a lot of running around. Had to go get some diesel. So I go up to a place. And, and how many of you just really appreciate pay at the pump? Pay at the pump is the best thing ever invented. Some of y'all don't drive, so of course you don't. But pay at the pump is incredible. And so I always try to find a place with pay at the pump, but I was about to run out of fuel. So I decided that I would pull up to this place, had the diesel pump, no pay at the pump. So I go and I'm like, they always want something so that you don't leave. Like, you know, your firstborn child or something, like you're going to run off and leave them with a, with a tank of gas. So the pump wouldn't come on. So I'm already like, great. And so I go in and I'd taken my wallet out and put it in the, in the dash. And the lady behind the desk, I, and I'd just been in this same place the week before, no problems. I said, I'd like to fill up with diesel, please. I need some collateral. I'm like, I'm not buying a house. I, I, I'm just getting some diesel fuel. Well, I need some collateral. I said, um, I said, I don't have my wallet. Can I just give you my truck keys? I don't want your keys. I, need, I either need your credit card or cash. And I was like, it's my keys. I can't leave without my keys. And she's like, I don't want your keys. And I could feel, have you, have you ever felt that you're doing good? And then all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> something starts just bubbling up. I felt like I was turning into the Incredible Hulk. It felt like the DNA in my body was changing. Chromosomes were moving. And I was just like, I was ready to just, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, well, let me go get it. And so I go out there, I get my wallet, 
I get my credit card. I walk back in. I said, here, here's my credit card. I start to walk off, and she goes, don't drive off now. I was like, no, she didn't. I mean, it was everything I could do. I was going, and in the back of my mind, I'm going, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I've got to have a good testimony. I can't, it can't be like on the front page of the paper where Connection Church pastor has choked a lady in a time saver. That does not work. And so I just kind of went out under my breath. I'm kind of like, I rock my girl. you know, I'm just mad. And I go out, I pump my dice. I go back in. I walk back in. It was like, she was nice as she could be. I mean, I really think she thought I was going to leave with the diesel fuel. And so, but I realize again, man, how vulnerable I am to that flesh, to that old man that, that has been crucified. But boy, does he not try to come back up sometimes. We can't forget our need for Jesus. We can't forget our need for Jesus. We need to realize that God's hand of grace upon our life Man, we got to have that constantly. It's got to constantly be a part of our life. How many of you uh, this week watched The Decision? Or you heard about it? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. The Decision. LeBron James. King James, right? You remember that? It was like a three-hour special on ESPN on Thursday night because at 9 o'clock, LeBron is telling us where he's going to play basketball. And it was the biggest deal. And I mean, I'm not putting people down for watching. I was watching it too. I was like, I want to know where he is going. And so I'm watching it too. But you know what was amazing is he had, what, six or eight teams he was choosing between. And the whole world is hanging on what choice is LeBron going to make. I don't even watch NBA basketball. And I'm watching. I'm like, man, where's he going? I got to know. It's killing me. The suspense is killing me. And, 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 and I don't even watch basketball until the Final Four in college. And so I'm sitting there, and, and, and I'm watching, and it just hit me. What in the world is his choice going to matter in 10 years? His choice, is it really going to make a difference in 10 years? Because his contract's, what, five or six? Something like that? It's not going to matter a hill of beans. What's it really going to matter in 100 years? Nothing. What's it really going to matter in eternity? Absolutely nothing. But I'll tell you the choice that is going to matter. I'll tell you the choice that's going to make all the difference in the world is the choice for you to accept what Jesus has done for you, the fact that God has reached out and chosen you, or the choice to not accept it, to not choose him. He's made the greatest offer we could possibly ever be made. And our choice is, do I receive it back? Do I take advantage of it? Do I, do, I, do I just look him in the eye and do I say no thanks? What's your choice going to be? Because I believe there are two people here today, and I think we all fit in this boat in some way or another. Some people are here, and they need to make a choice to come into the family of God. You need to realize that God has extended his hand of grace to bring you into his kingdom. The other thing that we need to realize is there are some people who are here today who God is trying to access a part of your life that you have shut off from him. And he wants to do something with your life that to this point, you just said no. And this is how I want to sum this up for you today. Is if you're here today and the hand of the creator of the universe is knocking on your heart, then open the door. Open the door. Where is God dealing with you this morning? What choice are you going to make? Are you going to live for God 
You're going to live for you. You're going to live for somebody else. I'm amazed by people when they get so bent out of shape over Jesus being the only way. And I say this because there's a lot of things that go on. But here's my thought on this. Why would I want another way? Why would I want another? And I realize that is a real struggle for people. But why would I want another way when God has so clearly extended his hand to me? That's the choice we have today. Do I reach out and take his hand? Or do I turn my back and I walk away? That's where we are. Why don't we pray?